Hey, welcome to another episode of Burnt Out to Badass. I have got an amazing emergency medicine physician that I'm going to be talking with today, and she's going to give some inside takes on her burnout story and how she actually used some other methods of passive income to help her healing. So we're going to get into this conversation and hear from her today. Ronnie Shalev. It's great to have you here on the podcast today. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Well, tell the people out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself. So I am a burnt out board certified emergency medicine physician turned real estate investor. And I practiced 16 years in emergency medicine at the bedside and ended up pivoting and going into real estate. Investing. I love it. And we're going to jump into the depth. So I know hindsight is always twenty twenty, but when do you think your burnout began? You know, there's when I look back, I see so many elements, but I would say it was probably the second year after residency, the second year attending, and I had two pediatric deaths in one shift. And I came home, I was walking, I was working in the Bronx and I was walking to the subway. And I called my father and all I could do was just sob. And he was like, oh my God, are you, are you dying? Is everything okay? What's going, I'm just sobbing, 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 sobbing. And then I told him what happened. And I said, you know, I don't how, I don't know how I can do this. Like if if this is, if this is what it is, I don't know how long I can do this. And from that point, I know what I have done in personal experience, which is like swallow it down get up the next morning, take a shower and like keep trotting on. Did you do that? Or did you actually do like the healthy thing? (laughs) Like coping through those experiences and like debriefing and stuff? I didn't learn about debriefing until so that was 2009 till 2011. So two years later, I learned about debriefing. It's not a routine thing in every hospital. I wish it was. But I did exactly what you would said you'd do. I, I mean, I just kind of went home, cried, put on my my suit of armor, which was my white coat with my scrubs, and went back to work. Yeah, and so many of us, that was what we were demonstrated on. This is just what it is, and this is how you do. And yeah, I think now most of us who are 5, 10, 15, 20 years out are now looking like, oh, shit, like this is trauma. That we have been inflicted on our jobs and it doesn't go away. Like as much as we want it to, and like we press it in the closet and with all the like the old Christmas decorations and the stuff that we may use 20 years from now, it still stays in there. And I think sometimes it even festers. So that was two years into attending practice and you continued on <laughs> for another decade plus after yes. that. Was yes. it like death by a thousand cuts? Or did you have several like major events that kept showing you like, oh my gosh, maybe this is not it? It was just kind of like a recurring theme. I'm usually really good at like finding patterns. And there was there was just like recurring themes that just kept popping up. And I tried to stay in medicine. You know, I tried different. I tried going from academics to community. I tried to do, you know, less acuity, more acuity, more coverage, less coverage. I tried to do freestanding ER. 
I tried a lot of different ways because I do love taking care of patients and I'm damn good at it. I am damn good at it. But event the same themes kept coming up. How can I do this? How much longer can I do this? What else could I do? What else could I do? Could just kept ringing in my ears. And then, you know, for a long time, it was just nothing. This is what you've trained. This is what you spent 20 years of your life learning how to do. You need to do it. You know, I remember a day where I was on a night shift. It was 10 p.m. This was towards the end where I'm taking care of two stroke patients at the same time. I'm trying to decide who's going to CT, who, who, who's, who, who's going where. Uh, and then I have an MI that comes in during this whole time, plus a severe asthmatic. I have like all of these ambulances waiting to get checked in, just like the the ambulance door keeps opening. And then like this, they just kind of walk in, the EMS comes in and, and they're bringing in, everyone looks sick, 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 sepsis. And I mean, failure to thrive and just unconscious. And, and I look out in the waiting room and full, like the wait, the waiting room's full, the, the hallways are full. Everyone is just like miserable waiting on me. And I look up at the clock and I'm like, when is my relief coming? I'm single coverage. I have no mid-level. I have no scribe. It's just me. It was eight more hours. And I, and I was like, you know, I just didn't even have time to think about it. Right. So I just kind of put my head down, turned into robot mode and just plowed through all those patients. I took care of everyone that night. Um, I didn't eat. I didn't pee. I didn't sit. Uh, I came home. I was exhausted. I just like fell on the bed in my dirty, disgusting scrubs and slept most of the day. My kids were like, let's go to the park and let's go here. Let's go. And I'm like, no, like, I don't have any energy. I can't. I just need to sleep. I didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, I felt physically like I was hit by a truck. I knew that like I was I still had like two more shifts. I couldn't do anything. And, you know, this is where the administrators had cut our physician hours. They just they cut our scribes. They cut our physician hours. And the same theme was people telling us kind of what to do. This is, you know, you need to see the patients in this amount of time. And this is the scores you need to get on your Prescani scores. And, oh, yeah, by the way, if you don't get great scores, you're replaceable. And basically, at that time, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, there has to be another way. One of my husband's friends was a real estate investor. And he was telling us about how he owns a piece of 100 7-Elevens. He only invested in 7-Elevens. He doesn't do it. He told me, I don't do anything with it. I just put my money in and I collect passive income. So I was like, passive income. That he's he's lying. I don't know what that is. Like, that's not true. Like, how can you even possibly do something like that? But I looked at my job and I'm like, I don't, I don't have any options. Like, what else am I supposed to let me just let's just try it. I mean, the guy does drive a Lamborghini, so why not? Like, let's try it. So my husband and I decided to start small and we kind of dipped our toes into real estate investing, not really knowing a lot about it. And then we were like, oh, okay, this is kind of working. It's interesting. Makes sense. Let's find more of these type of things. So we started like really looking at, you know, all kinds of different real estate deals and different asset classes, single family homes and residential and commercial and and syndications and REITs. And, and we were looking at all kinds of things. And 
finally, when COVID, that was in 2014, when we started doing the investing. And when COVID hit in 2020, and my administrators yet again told me, you're going to be fine. Here's a trash bag. Go into that room. By the way, no one wants to go in there. (laughs) And here's a mask for a week. You can reuse it and you're going to be just fine. And we're no, no, we're not going to go into that room, but you can. That's when I was like, they don't care about me. All they care about, I'm a commodity. If I die tomorrow, they don't care. Like, in fact, they told us if you get COVID, you still have to go to work. If you're not ventilated, you should, you, you just put on an N95 and you can, you continue taking care of patients. And that's when I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Like we looked at our finances. We had been investing and we realized that. I'm not trapped by this job anymore. If I wanted to, I could stay. If I don't, I don't have to. And that's kind of what real estate investing did for me. It created a space. I could decide what I wanted to do. And I had time. There wasn't that constraint, like my whole family is depending on me. And, and you know, what am I going to do? Are we going to sell our house? Are we going to uproot everybody? And there wasn't that pressure. I just felt like I had breathing room. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is if your investment started before you quit, and it sounds like you definitely, you guys did have several years overlap to kind of get your feet wet, try things out and know that like, hey, we're going to be okay. We're not going to have to eat cat food (laughs) if mom changes her job. (laughs) Yeah, this is, I mean, real estate investing is really a long-term game. It's not a get rich quick, you know which makes it very attractive for me because I don't want get rich quick schemes because you can lose them. I mean, look what's going on with crypto right now. People became overnight billionaires and then they lost everything. So like, I don't want that. Like that volatility, I got that in the ER and I'm now risk averse. So That's I tell people I no longer want my dopamine kick at, at work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I don't want it for my investments either. Yes. That's not where I want it from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, When you were going through this, and I'm just postulating here, you've talked about how it felt and how what your thoughts were. What was it like from the outside, you think? Like people who were like observing you, your life, your family, as you guys were trying to figure all this out together? Well, I'll tell you, I went to a therapist to try to, I to try to stay in medicine, like deal with my trauma. I went to a hypnotherapist also to try to hypnotize me to deal with my stress at work. And the hypnotherapy didn't work. The therapist, I stressed him out. He was like, oh my God, you have to take care of two dying patients at the same time. And then if someone else comes in, you have to take care of them too. And then you can be sued. And so, I mean, basically I was like, the fact that he was getting stressed out made me stressed out. It it was not helpful. And that was really before I really got into like the knowing that there's physician coaches out there that actually understand you. You know, he was he was just a therapist and had no medical training. And what I was telling him horrified him. So what I learned was the more I talked about it, the more horrified people got. And then I would get angry because like, why is it like this? You know? Yeah. Why does it so have I to stopped be this talking bad? to people? I stopped uh-huh. talking to people about it. Yeah, absolutely. So when COVID hit for you, was it a dark night of the soul moment or was it like an aha? Like, this is it. Peace out, MFers. I'm, I'm done. I did eight months in, within, in COVID. Mm-hmm. And at first it was all like a badge of honor. I'm here to take care of everybody. And I knew it wasn't going to last two weeks. But at eight months, I 
was like, this thing's not going away. Uh, I'm in a P100 double gown, double glove. I was like, for 12 hours. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) I can't be like this. Like I wasn't taking it off to eat or drink. I I don't want to be like this for 15 hours for the next 20 years. Like that's not what I want. And that, so that's kind of where I, and then it was, it was just, I, you know, in 2020, there was just like now a RSV spike. And then there was the flu. There wasn't a lot of flu, but it was, it was like RSV. Every time we thought there was something like light at the end of the tunnel, something would happen. And I was just like, this is it. This is how it always will be. I don't want this anymore. So maybe that was my aha moment. I don't know. I think a lot of physicians have that as well as like, okay, if they're not going to change it for the better, then I guess it's on me. And I think we finally have reached a precipice of realizing that you truly do have to take care of yourself first, or you really are doing a disservice for the people that you're trying to care for. Like there's nothing worse than, uh, you know, we've experienced a little bit of healthcare recently with my family. There's nothing worse of like having a burnt out staff, like come into the room and look at the computer and like ask you the questions monotone with their back turned to you to really be like, um, Hey, like there's people over here, you know, like I can go to Dr. Google and do that all myself, but but I'm here because I need, I need more than that. Who or what was most instrumental for you on this journey through? I would say my husband, he is an entrepreneur and he is highly, highly creative and, and not risk averse like I am. And I was always the conservative, like, no, we just pay off our debt and, and we have our home and we put in a 401k. And he's like, no, let's, let's start a business. Let's start a this. And he was the one that really intrigued me because for years he would be talking about it. Like, let's start a business. Let's do this. What do you think about this? Should we open up a restaurant? Should we open up? And he started like really opening my mind up. The fir- At first I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. No, I have my thing. I'm stressed enough. And then slowly I was like, yeah, that would be kind of fun. And we would play games like that. Like if we had a restaurant, what would we call it? What would we serve? And slowly like opening my eyes that there is something. There is a world outside of medicine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned when I had you sign up for the podcast before you're coming on that podcast, books, webinars, and mentorship too were really super important to you. Talk a little bit about all of those different avenues. Cause it sounds like you're like a, like me, like a data collector. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I like, like before I, I like learning about something really well before taking any steps. I bet. Yeah. I started just listening to bigger pockets podcasts and was surprised that I started like really enjoying it, laughing at jokes that I wouldn't have even understood three months prior. Um, and then I started reading about it. And then I, I've been, I was taking classes. I took a uh, Leite and Kenji zero to freedom course. And we bought, it, it, they, they focus on teaching you how to own small multifamily. So, and we did that. We bought three duplexes and we were like, wow, this is kind of great. How do we 10 exit? And at the time, that's not what Leite and Kenji were teaching. So I was like, well, I need to go to someone that does it. I, if I want to 10x this and really be able to step out and and even start helping other people do it, how do I find it? And that's when I started looking for different like mentors and looking for people that are experts in the field that have done it for years. 
And I found Brad Sumrock, who is an apartment investor, and really started just loving his perspective on apartments and why they're probably of the commercial asset classes, the safer asset, not not exciting, boring, boring asset, but safe. And I, I really like that. And so I, I joined his mentorship program and he's got masterminds. I've joined the masterminds. There's physician masterminds and really learning to surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to be doing because proximity is power. You know, you want to be close to people. You want to surround yourself. If you surround yourself with eagles, you're going to learn to fly. I love um, that. Proximity is power. There is probably somebody out there listening to us in podcast world who is like in that place of like, oh shit, I'm stuck. What advice would you give him or her right now? I, the first thing I would say is to, to get help, get a coach, invest in yourself. People always say, you know, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to pay the money or I don't have the money. If you get a, a coach that specializes in burnout, and I, I would recommend a physician coach, I would say, the money you're spending on yourself might be equivalent to hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future. Because if you can actually stay in medicine and work through the trauma that we all experience, you're going to be able, you have that earning potential of years and years of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you, you know, just leave, which is also okay, you're still getting that emotional support so that you don't bring your problems to your new job. Because it follows you. So, you know, you don't want to be not dealing with your issues because if you're running away from something, it's going to follow you. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely great advice. Well, talk to us a little bit about shallwinproperties.com and you guys' company that you and your husband formed together. And maybe there's somebody who needs to reach out and talk to you. Yeah. So my husband and I, after we were passive investors for many years, we decided to start our own investing firm. And we purchase apartment complexes. So what I do is I partner with other professionals that don't want to do the work. They don't want the headaches of tenants, of toilets, of termites, of being called in the middle of the night, but they still want the benefits of the real estate investing. So they invest with me and my husband and I, we are the ones that are buying these large apartment complexes. So these are between 30 and $60 million apartment complexes. So very large deals. And we buy them and we create a business plan that we execute on. So we usually do a value add. So we renovate these units. We make the apartments nicer places for the tenants to live and make money for the investors and for us. And then eventually we sell it. I love it. That's one of my missions here in Southern Indiana is not just to like invest for investment sake, but to provide nice housing. And that sounds like exactly what you're doing, you know, providing homes for people not just, you know, some ratty little apartment. Right, right. I love it. Well, you know, it's been my pleasure sitting down and talking with you. I love your advice. I'm going to stick with that. Proximity is power. <laughs> it really, really is. Any parting words you want to leave with our listeners? Imagine a day where you go to work because you want to go to work. Imagine a day where your spouse says to you, hey, you look happy. I love the freedom that we have. Imagine a day where you can say, I want to serve others, or I want to take a vacation. It doesn't matter. This is what real estate investing can do for you. It can give you that freedom that 
to break free from the golden handcuffs. If that's the reason that you're staying in a job, that that shouldn't be a reason anymore. Uh, if you guys are, if anybody's interested in reaching out to me, uh, my email is Ronnie at shallwinproperties.com. Awesome. I love it. I'll get that in the show notes. And friend, the badass in me honors the badass in you. Thank you. <laughs> friend. Thanks for hanging with me here on Burnt Out to Badass. Are you ready to get more than what the podcast has? Well, I want to tell you, I have an online course, same name, Burnt Out to Badass with Dr. Aaron Wiseman, that you can do all on your own. I love it because you learn all the important shit that they didn't teach us in graduate school, how to rest and recover properly, harnessing your perfectionism and using it as a superpower eliminating jealousy, insecurity, and the grass is always greener mentality. You get help with conquering imposter syndrome, establishing clear boundaries and sticking to them, and overcoming your overwhelm. It's 12 jam-packed modules of this online course that you can move through at your own pace and can refer back to as much as you want to. The other great thing is, is you'll join the Badass Slack group, and I will be in my DMs for any question, comments, or chitty chat. Can't wait to see you in there. The Badass in Me honors the Badass in You.